0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. I, our four children, attend. My wife and I are members there. When I was asked a few weeks ago uh, to preach this morning, I began to consider and labor over what the Lord might have to use as our text. After considering several passages of Scripture, I was timely reminded of the simple truth that we know in 2 Timothy, that all Scriptures are breathed out by God and useful for teaching. So, timely reminded of that, I... Stop searching for a new passage of scripture and settled in my mind to simply continue the book that I've been preaching at already, at the Village Church for a while now, which is the book of Galatians. Today we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 3, but before we do, I want to give a bit of context around the book of Galatians, as it'll be helpful for, it'll be helpful for you before we jump into our specific text. For those here from the village some of this may be a bit of review uh, but it's equally helpful for you. It's been a few weeks since we've been in this, this text. The book of Galatians is as applicable today to the modern church as it was to the early church in Galatia when the Apostle Paul wrote it approximately 48 to 49 AD. This very important letter deals with an essential Christian doctrine, and that is the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, apart from works. The overarching theme of Galatians can be stated like this. God's people are justified by grace, through faith in Christ alone, and not by works or obedience to the law. This could be abbreviated or or simplified even more than that, simply to say this. Christians are justified by what Christ did, and not by what we do. The Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia because false, destructive doctrine had crept into the churches there, and was subverting and undermining the gospel. Backing up a little further for our context here, before Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, during one of his earliest missionary journeys, Paul had traveled through the region of Galatia. He had preached the gospel there. And he had helped establish and build up Christian churches in Galatia. After the churches were established, Paul moved on He left Galatia. And shortly after his departure, Jewish zealots known as the Judaizers worked their way into the Galatian churches and began to teach that faith in Christ had to also be accompanied by circumcision and obedience to other aspects of the law. These false teachers instructed that faith in Christ was not enough on its own safe. The Judaizers taught that Jesus Christ was the God of the Jews only. And therefore, if the Galatians wanted to be saved, then they must become like the Jew. They had to get circumcised. They had to obey the ceremonies. They had to obey the rules. And then they could be saved by Christ. The Judaizers didn't dismiss Christ outright, but rather they taught that Christ and obedience to the law were necessary to be saved. Dear ones, isn't that how false teaching usually is? It's just right enough for people to miss the falsehood but it is absolutely wrong enough to be deadly. And any doctrine that doesn't have Christ as the only sufficient way for salvation is a deadly doctrine. That, of course, is always Satan's plan, though. From the very beginning, he has been one who distorts the truth. You don't have to look very far in Scripture to know that Scripture tells us that Satan is the father of lies. That he masquerades as an angel of light. In the book of Revelation, it even says that he is like a lamb, but with the tongue of a dragon. Similarly, our Lord, in Sermon on the Mount, described false teachers as wolves in sheep's clothing. And these are all fitting in descriptions for the Judaizers, who are teaching a dependency on man's works for salvation in Christ. Think about the example of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. The house on the rock stands while the house on sand crumbles. So too crumbles a shifting foundation where salvation is based on works rather than Christ, the solid rock. This is where we find the Galatians today. The Judaizers undermine the pure gospel that we're teaching what Paul referred to as another gospel, which was no gospel at all. He described that in chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. Paul had stated in his opening argument that anyone who taught a different gospel than the one he preached was cursed, or as we know the words mean anathema, that is, to be eternally damned. Sadly, the Galatians were not rejecting this works-based false gospel from the Judaizers. They were embracing it. The heart of the true gospel is that Christ's perfect, active obedience to the law of God fulfilled what man never could do. We know that God saves sinners by his grace, through faith in Christ alone. But the Galatians have began to turn away from this, and turn to obedience to rules and the law. Trying to obey their way into heaven. This is why the Apostle Paul penned his letter. His aim was to correct the Galatian churches and return them to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, which again is received by faith alone and not man's attempt at good works. Our specific text today is Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. If you are able, would you please stand in reverence for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired word? Galatians, chapter 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You may be seated. Would you please join me in prayer? as we come to your word this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, convict us, sanctify us, equip us, God, we need you. Father, guard my mouth. Let the words that I speak only be those from your word. Let that be what is for remembrance today. Father, it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. With our context out of the way, let's begin. I've titled our message today, By Faith. Simply that. Two simple words that carry some of the deepest doctrinal importance of all of Scripture. By faith. Let's begin. In the opening of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses strong words to the Galatian churches. In fact, the letter to the Galatians is often even referred to as Paul's fieriest epistle because of the context of what he's saying. He's correcting. This is not a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of correction seeking to see them restored to the truth. These straying the churches in Galatians. Look at verse 1 of Galatians 3, right? What we just read. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The Apostle Paul here in verse 1 uses that word bewitched. It's a strong word. In the Greek, this word means literally to exercise an evil power, to cast a spell on someone. Remember, Satan's father lies. And what greater demonic lie is there than one that denies the all sufficient work of Christ upon the cross? By instead teaching something like works being necessary for salvation. Yet this is the message that we see again from the Judaizers put forth to the Galatian churches. The Galatians, having originally believed the good news, when Paul preached to them during his missionary journey, then turned from the pure faith in Christ to works. They turned from believing by faith to somehow thinking that they had to earn it. So the Apostle Paul asked them, Who bewitched you? Who put you under a spell? Who has tricked you into believing this nonsense? Paul continues in verse 2. Let me ask you only this, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a point of question. It's almost rhetorical in nature because the Galatians know the answer. Paul knows the answer. It's obvious. The Apostle reminds his readers that when they received the Holy Spirit, when they were saved, it was not by anything good that they had done. Simply by the preaching of the word and their faith in the work of Christ, the gospel message was proclaimed. They believed it by faith in the risen Lord, and they were saved and they received the Holy Spirit. That's the message of the Bible, brothers and sisters. Believe by faith in Christ. It's a biblical doctrine that is fundamental to our faith. Faith alone is a doctrine that is not up for debate. All of the pages of Scripture are clear on that. There is no other way to be saved. Romans ten seventeen reminds us, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. <laughs> continue through our text today. Now in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 3, the apostle asks yet another question. He's asking a series of questions that are somewhat rhetorical in nature, but he's making a point. Are you so foolish, the apostle says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So in verse 2, he reminded the Galatians that it was by hearing with faith that they received the Spirit that they were saved. And having established that the, they received the Spirit on account of faith alone, Paul asked the Galatians that they are so foolish as to think that after receiving the Spirit by faith, that they were then somehow being, he uses this word, perfected by works of the law, by their obedience to the law. It's preposterous to think that once saved by faith, Christians are then perfected by their works. Yet this is what the Galatians were doing. Dear ones, sadly, often don't we see this still in churches? Christians who fall prey to a form of legalism where their outward righteousness makes them good, makes them holy, makes them holier than the person next to them because of their actions. Throughout Scripture, this was the Pharisees' greatest problem, and Jesus Christ pointed that out again and again that they were whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but they were filthy on the inside because their focus was on external righteousness. Looking good rather than simply being made good by the Lord. We have a wonderful example of this in Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It gives us a vivid example here. This is the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Luke 18, I'll read this for us. He, Jesus What a fitting reminder of what works-based righteousness actually is and looks like. The Pharisee in his perceived goodness and the tax collector who had an accurate understanding of himself completed with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the simplest definition that we can give to what Paul says when he says this word, are being perfected by your flesh, right? The Apostle says, being perfected by your flesh. The simplest definition here that we can give this is the definition of what Paul is talking about, which is sanctification, being perfected, being sanctified. I never want to assume that all of us know these words that are common in some circles of Christianity. Let's give a simple definition to what sanctification is. Sanctification is God making sinners holy in heart and conduct. I'll say it again. Sanctification is the process by which God makes sinners holy in heart and conduct. It is the process by God setting apart his people and transforming them, perfecting them through the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That is how we are perfected. It's by the Spirit's work, it's by the Word of God, and yet Paul says the Galatians are trying to do that by their obedience. Somehow they're going to be sanctified by what they do rather than what the Lord does in the life of a Christian as we simply surrender to him and are led by him. Paul asked the Galatians after after receiving the Spirit by faith that they were then being perfected by the flesh. This was yet another rhetorical question. We know that because Paul knew the answer as we do. We look to the whole of Scripture. Sanctification is never a work of the flesh. Dear ones, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. If it was up to us to be sanctified. We would never be sanctified. His work through the Lord, by His Spirit, and the Word. Look with me at verse 4 of Galatians 3 as we continue in our text. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul is asking another question to the Galatians. Paul says the Galatians' believers suffer. He asked them if they suffered in vain. Let us consider the context here. He's asking if they suffered in vain. When the Galatians first trusted in Jesus Christ and believed the gospel, they undoubtedly exposed themselves to persecution and ridicule at the hand of the Jewish leaders who despised the gospel of grace faith in Christ. Think of the time period when this was. To be a Christian truly at times meant then to take up your cross. Christians were persecuted. So Paul asked, did you suffer so many things in vain? To be a Christian was to be persecuted. They undoubtedly, like all Christians, suffered persecution, scorn, and ridicule when they first believed. And the Apostle Paul suggests that the Galatians turning from the gospel of faith to a false gospel of works would mean that they suffered in vain because their persecutors, those Judaizers, would be perceived as having been right all along if they turned from the gospel of faith. Now, after all that, and return to the law. But there's something deeper here in this verse. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in the second half of verse 4. So he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed was in vain. If the Apostle Paul holds on to the hope that the Galatians will return to the truth, that they will repent, and that they will again stand firm in the faith. Brothers and sisters, this should be our hope as Christians. Whenever we see a believer who has fallen or who has drifted into sin, Scripture says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope like the Apostle Paul, when a brother or sister has fallen into sin, we are to extort, exhort them, we are to admonish them to return to the truth of the gospel. Paul holds on to hope here. And so must we. We must continue to hope, and we are not to despair because we know that Jesus Christ still saves sinners by his grace. We hope in God's mercy, we trust in his grace, and we rejoice in Christ, just as the Apostle Paul does here. He holds out hope. That's why he's writing them. He has not given up hope that they will return to the truth. Now, look with me at verses 5 and 6. We're going to go through these two together. In Galatians 3 5 and 6. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, we we see this battle against these two things by faith, by works. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing the faith? We know that the indwelling of the Spirit is never earned or merited. Is always given by God's grace and it is always received by him. In verse 6, Paul mentions that the faith of Abraham. How interesting it is here that the same Old Testament scriptures that the Judaizers are using in, as an attempt to insist upon circumcision and obedience to the law, the Apostle Paul is now going to use to make a case for salvation through faith rather than works. The Judaizers. These were zealots of the Jewish law would claim, look at the law, it says you must do all these things. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, look at Abraham, a man saved by faith and not in his works. The Apostle Paul, now in verse 7, says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. The point the Apostle Paul has been making All through this text, and we know this now, is that the Galatians were saved by faith. He has clearly established that. So why is he now bringing up Abraham, the patriarch and the father of many nations, including the people of Israel? Simply this, because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, man is and has always been saved by faith. Salvation by faith is not a product of simply the New Testament. Faith has always been the only way for man to be saved. It's worth noting, I would ask this do you know when and by whom the gospel was first proclaimed in Scripture? In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God and eating the fruit tree of knowledge of good and evil it was God himself who first preached the good news of the gospel let us look to Genesis 3.15 where God speaks to the serpent Genesis 3.15 Genesis 3.15 the Lord says this to the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here in this single verse in the third chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, we have a verse that is known as the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel. God himself speaks of the hostility between Satan and the woman Eve, and how the seed of the woman, her offspring, the promised Messiah, as Jesus, would crush the devil's head with a mortal wound, would defeat Satan on the cross of Calvary. It's always been by faith. Jesus has always been the only way to salvation. In the Old Testament, man looked forward to the fulfillment of the promise of God through the atoning work of Christ, the coming, promised Messiah. And in the New Testament and beyond, man simply looks back upon the completed work of Christ. It's always been by faith. Those in the Old Testament believe God's promise. And we in the New Testament believe God's promise by faith. We don't see it. We believe it because God's word says it. You see, Jesus was never the backup plan for salvation. He was, and he is, and he will always be the only plan of salvation for fallen, sinful man. has always been Jesus, and it's always been because of God's grace, and it's always been by faith. Abraham believed by faith. We must believe by faith. We have two more verses to look at in our text today. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then though those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man here we have the Abrahamic covenant clearly stated. What is a covenant? Simply, a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. Throughout scripture, we see God making covenants with man. What was the covenant that God made with Abraham? We look to Genesis, we can see that. In Genesis 12, two, God promised that Abraham's name would be great. In Genesis 13, 16, God promises that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. In Genesis 17, God promises Abraham that he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And in Genesis 22, God promises that all nations of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. All nations. This speaks of Christ, the coming Messiah, who would come in the line of Abraham. This is not simply blessed in the sense that we use that word today. It simply means good things. It means to be eternally blessed, saved by God's grace. That kind of blessed. In Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6, we hear about the faith of Abraham. An old man with no children and a barren wife, but promised to be Father of many nations. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. And he, the Lord, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord. And they counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was not saved by his good deeds. No, in fact, Scripture doesn't paint a a really beautiful picture of Abraham and his works. They weren't pretty good. Abraham was a coward who told his wife to lie and protect him. In doing so, he put his wife at risk of being forced into Pharaoh's harem in Egypt. God protects Sarah, but the point remains. Despite God's promise of an heir, Abraham takes matters into his own hands and fathers a child by Hagar, the female servant of his wife, Sarah. That worked out terribly for those two nations, and they're still fighting one another to this day. No, Abraham, the father of Israel, of whom all Christians are grafted into the covenant promise made, all nations blessed. He was a mess. Abraham was a mess. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed the Lord and his promise, and God counted to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham had faith. Clearly, he didn't have works. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 has reminded the Galatian churches that it has always only been by faith in God that God's people are saved. It's always been by faith. Any attempt to earn it or to be perfected by works is not only foolish. But it goes against the entirety of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. I want to close our time together today with six passages that will help us cement in the importance of the doctrine of being saved by faith alone. This, again, is a fundamental doctrine. It's not based on a single, obscure Scripture reference, but it is intertwined through all of Scripture. It is consistent, as God's Word is. First, we'll continue right in our book here in Galatians, Galatians 2, verse 16, it says this, Galatians 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, here it is, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Look over to Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. And it reads, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. We've got a few more. let's look to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans 3, verses 27 and 28. 3.728 reads then what becomes of our boasting it is excluded by what kind of law by a law of works no but by the law of faith for we know that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law again let' look at Romans 4 verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We are made righteous through Christ by faith. We know that scripture again, again, says this. We're going to... One more in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Go over. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It reads, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see it clearly in Scripture, brothers and sisters. It's by faith. Finally, one more verse. I tossed this one in last minute because it is a favorite of mine. I simply could not skip it. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians two, verses eight and nine. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight. And grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast the apostle Paul was drawing the Galatians back to faith and away from destruction of thinking maybe do anything right by works scripture tells us that is by faith The Protestant Reformation, out of the Church of England, out of the Catholic Church, is that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So now what? Where do we go from here today, having worked through this text, having seen what we uh, have been able to bring out of the scripture here? Brothers and sisters, I I have two simple application points for us to consider. The first one is this. Are you trusting by faith in the completed work of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who alone fulfilled the law as your sole source of righteousness? Or like the Galatians, having begun by faith, are you now trying to be perfected, to be sanctified by your good works? Dear ones, Isaiah 64, 6 Tells us that man's righteousness is like filthy rags. We can be made righteous only by the shed blood of Jesus, the perfect Son of God. 100% man, 100% God. He was without sin. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. He was resurrected. And Colossians 3 1 says that he is now seated at the right hand of God. Even Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. No one. If you're trying to be perfected by your works, by your actions, or even by your obedience to good things, I want to admonish you, return to the fundamental reason that we are saved. Christ. Christ alone. Salvation is by faith in what he has done. It is the only way our second application point. As we read today in the text, the Apostle Paul held on to hope and did not waver in his aim to see the Galatians return to the true gospel. What about you? When you hear of those who have fallen from the truth, even those who have done so very publicly, do you become cynical and resentful or do you hold on to the hope and the confidence that Christ still saves and restores? Does the hope of Christ still rule in your life? Or has your flesh made you pessimistic and doubtful towards what the Lord may do in restoring weak, needy sinners in the hands of a merciful, gracious God? May we never tire of hearing about God's grace to the most undeserving of sinners. And may our conviction and our assurance in Christ stir us to be hopeful and optimistic and joyful in all things rather than pessimistic towards the lost and the fallen. I pray that we mourn our own sin and that of others, but that we delight in hearing about any soul that the Lord leads to repentance. Would you join me as we pray some prayers God, thank you for your mercy to forgive sinners by faith in Christ. Though we can do nothing and do nothing to deserve it or earn it, Lord, I pray for those here today who may be wrestling with their flesh, thinking, seeking, or trying to be justified by their works. God, help us to see the futility of works and instead believe what your word declares. To ask that you are gentle, but firm, conviction in each of us, Lord, would stir us to be remembered that we're saved by faith alone. God, for those in the room who may not have a relationship with you, I pray that you would draw, that you would call the lost to you. God, I pray that you would saturate us with the sound truth of your word. Father, bring us back to that. Thank you for this time that we may gather today, that we may worship that we may pray, that we may hear your word. Father, be with us today, be glorified in this place, in this town, God, we praise you in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.